Hey guys, good morning. Uh, good to see you, and especially those of you who are here with baptism families or maybe you're, you're new today. Um, just thanks so much for coming. Welcome to Fellowship of Faith. My name is David Gadini. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at FOF and just uh, so good having you with us. Let, let me tell you kind of what we've been doing here lately at FOF and, and where this is going to be leading later today. All year long, we have been, school year long, we have been going through these why questions people have. Why, why did God allow this to happen? Why doesn't he do something about, why is it always like, and dozens more. You know these why questions, right? Maybe you even have some of these why questions yourself. What a lot of people don't realize is that the Bible is chock full of these exact same why questions. Over 500 times in the Bible, you are going to find someone asking the question, why? Sometimes it's people talking to each other, trying to figure out why. Sometimes it's people crying out to God or pleading with God or praying to God the same question, why? But surprisingly, a lot of times in the Bible, you see God asking people why questions Two, it's always struck me as amazing that as confused as we can be about God and his will sometimes, God seems to be just as confused about why we do what we do sometimes, and the Bible becomes this really cool dialogue of why questions back and forth. Now, the why question we've been looking at these past couple weeks in September and leading today is one that really stands kind of at the the heart and soul of Christianity. And it's why Jesus died. And for those of us who come from church backgrounds or those of us who call ourselves Christians, we, we, we kind of know the knee-jerk answer. Well, Jesus died for our sins. And man, that's true, and, and I'm looking to do nothing to denigrate that. But what we've been doing is instead of looking at those theological and philosophical reasons... We've been looking at the historic reasons instead. What actually happened in 30 AD that landed Jesus on the cross? And what we're going to be doing today is looking at that from a, a fourth angle of what took place. Now, those of you who have been with us for the past few weeks, you've heard this passage but what I want you to do is hear it again with fresh ears and listen for the different entities at play as to why Jesus died. This is from Mark 15. And he says this. Very early in the morning, this is the morning in which he would die. This is what we call Good Friday. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And the chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him again. Aren't you going to answer? Don't you see how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, much to the amazement of the Roman governor. 
Now, it was the custom at this feast they were gathered for, this feast of unleavened bread, the Passover. It was the custom to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And there was this man, his name was Barabbas, who was in prison with some other insurrectionists who had committed murder in the city during the uprising. And the crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did, releasing a prisoner at this time. So Pilate asked, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Because he knew it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one who you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. And they shouted, crucify him. Why? What, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to release, or wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, three weeks ago, we looked at the role and the responsibility that the Romans had to play in Jesus' death. Two weeks ago, we looked at the role and the responsibility some of these Jewish leaders had to play in Jesus' death. And last week, we looked at the role and responsibility the crowds and the masses of people had to play in Jesus' death. But today, what I want to do is look at it from a fourth angle. And it kind of revolves around this statement right here. Jesus still made no reply. Here he is. He's on trial. He's being accused of all these kinds of things, and his life and his death hang in the balance. But he makes no reply. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't point out all the holes in his accuser's arguments or, or, or show the ways that it's fabricated or lies. There's no sense of pleading or bargaining or seeking mercy. You get this sense when you read the story that Jesus wanted to die. And it's not just at the end of the story. You know, it's not just like the final hour where Jesus is standing there in some kind of resigned place going, you know, I can't believe it all came to this. My whole movement failed. I can't believe, you know, like giving up in the moment. No, no, you see this idea that Jesus wanted to die from the very beginning. You can trace this through the stories of Jesus' life in the Bible, these Gospels called Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And what you see is that from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus had this thing called death in full sight as a target he was aiming for. I think of this one account where Jesus is like at the height of his ministry. I mean, he's, he's topping the charts People are following him. He's been doing miracles. He's been teaching like no one taught before. People are swarming to him. Demons are being cast out. Blind people are singing. It's amazing, right? It doesn't get higher than this. And he pulls his disciples aside, and look at what he tells them. 
from that time on, he began to explain that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed. Guys, this has got to happen. And they won't have it. They won't have it. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples, one that's kind of like his right-hand man, this guy named Peter who is so close to him, he even comes to Jesus and goes, no, may it never be. No way, you are not going to die. And you know how Jesus responds to this? Calls him the devil. He says, get away from me, Satan. Get behind me. You don't have in mind the things of God. Then he goes on to start teaching them about he who wants to save his life will ultimately lose it, and he who wants to lose his life will find it, and if that if they want to follow him, they've got to pick up their own crosses and carry him. You get this sense early on in his ministry that he wanted to die. There's this other gospel. It's called Luke. And, and, and it all hinges around one verse. The whole gospel, the whole storyline hinges on this passage right here where it says, as that time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where they wanted him dead. That's where they were going to string him up. It's like he didn't just find himself there. It wasn't like he was wandering one day and went, oh, shoot, what am I doing here? You know, it's not like he woke up and he found himself in a place he didn't want to be. He intentionally purposefully, he, how does it put it? Resolutely. It's like it was in his, his intention. His mission, he wanted to go to Jerusalem to die. And, and, and later, later some will even kind of try to talk him off the fence. They'll try to warn him. Some religious leaders come to him saying, don't do it, Jesus don't go there. Don't you know that Herod wants you dead? Because not every religious leader wanted Jesus dead. And look at how he responds to them. He says, wait a minute. I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. Because surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. I need to go there and die. It seems like Jesus saw it as a life calling. And it's not that he wanted to die. Don't, don't misunderstand this. There's this, this cool little story where it is actually the night when he's going to be arrested and, and hauled off. And, you know, it's going to all kind of start to take play. And he takes a couple trusted disciples, and, 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 and the weight of it is, is literally starting to overwhelm. Have you ever had these moments where the weight of something is growing so heavy, you just can't bear it anymore? And he goes out to this quiet place, this garden that he likes, away from everyone, and he starts to pray. And the fear's coming over him, and the anxiety's coming over him, and it's starting to crush him so much that it says, like, he's sweating, and the, and the sweat coming off of him is even like drops of blood. And look at what he prays. He goes, Father, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this from me. Take it. 
I don't want to die. And yet, not what I will, but what you will. That even though he didn't really want to die, death was always his intention from beginning to end with a purpose and a drive that transcended what he wanted in the moments. And it's not like he didn't get his chance. They come to arrest him and to drag him off to kill him. And his disciples see this playing out and they fight back. And this one disciple, the same one, his name is, is Peter, he draws the sword and he starts swinging and he cuts off one of these guards' ears that came out with him with the mob in the night. And look at what Jesus says. Put it back, brother. Now put it away. Don't you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And I'm not talking the diaper-wearing, fat, pudgy little angels that you could punt across a football field. I'm talking angelic warriors, the host of heaven. Don't you think I can't call on my father and he won't send at my disposal at a single command? Twelve legions of angels to fight for me? No, guys, don't think I'm dying because I'm some victim in this. As though these things are happening outside of my power. No, no, something different instead. Jesus went to die by his own intention and his own design. Why did Jesus die? because he wanted to. Now, my uh, dad committed suicide about four years ago now. He got depressed and he simply couldn't find anything worth living for anymore. My dad wanted to die but see, it's not quite the same thing I'm talking about with Jesus here. Because although Jesus wanted to die too, it's not because he couldn't find something worth living for. It's because he found something worth dying for. And that makes all the difference. And what Jesus found worth dying for, quite simply, is this. For you. There's this story, again, it's right before Jesus dies when he's gathering with his disciples one last time. They're in this upper room. It, 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 it's, it's the quiet before the storm. You know what I mean? It's this time that they have, this final time that they have together to share last words, last thoughts, last feelings. He teaches them and he laughs with them and he eats with them and they wrestle through this thing together. And at this key moment in it, he looks at them and he says something to them. He says, guys, listen up. Greater love has nothing than this. There is no greater love than this than that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
says there's no greater expression of love than this, than for someone to lay down their life for another. And then he turns it to them, and he looks at them. And he says, that's what you are to me. That's what I call you, my friends. Not servants, not followers, not means to my end, not cogs in my agenda. No, no, you are my friends. And he says the same thing to you as well. He looks at you and says, you, yeah, you. I think of you as my friend. See, whatever you believe about all of this, there's no getting around the fact that Jesus believed that he was dying for you. And just so this isn't misunderstood, it's not because you're all that great. Now, I know I'm speaking heresy into the teachings of Disney in every episode that they've made, that we are all something special. You're a snowflake, unique, just like every other snowflake, right? It's not because he looks at you and go, you know, these people are okay, but, you know, her over there, wow, now she's worth dying for. It's not like he looks at you and goes, man, you know, those people over there are kind of losers, but that dude, that brother, He's something special. No, nothing like that at all. In fact, it was much to the opposite. Jesus didn't call them friends because they were anyhow in any way more special than anyone else. He called them friends for one reason. He liked them. Whatever faults, whatever failings, whatever issues, he loved them. He liked them for who they are. And man, he got himself into hot water over this throughout his ministry. Because you can read these stories and what you see is that Jesus is hanging out with the less than savory folk. People that the the New Testament will call tax collectors, prostitutes, labeling them all under this kind of canopy. Sinners. Sinners with the idea that they're kind of beneath the rest of us. Sinners with the idea that somehow they're scorned by the rest of society. Sinners as not just some theological term, but as a slam on the character and status of who they are. And you know what? He spent time with them. He loved them. He actually liked being with sinners like that. And not because they were somehow part of his mission or agenda. Not somehow because they they gave him notches in his belt. He just liked them. And called them friends. And and, and the people would come to him, his disciples, these religious leaders, other people who, who saw themselves over that pack. You know what I'm saying? Going, Jesus, come on, man. You gotta stop. This is bad for your reputation. 
You're stirring the pot here, you know? You're getting yourself into hot water with, with the religious elite. You, know, you gotta stop. He wouldn't do it. Because you don't abandon the people that you call your friends. And in fact, on one occasion, they come to him and they're railing on him, and this is what he says. Guys, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. No, no, I've come for sinners. To call them to repentance, to call them to turn to me. There's this great passage by a former terrorist who turned disciple who writes, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says someone might dare to die for a good person and for a righteous person. Someone might possibly think about dying, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is why Jesus died by his intention, laying down his life for sinful people who simply wants to call friend. And he's been making that invitation to people ever since. For 2,000 years, inviting sinful people, whatever their past, whatever their issues, whatever their baggage, whatever their shame, Trust him and seek him for their forgiveness. For a restoration of a relationship with God and intimacy with him. It's the story of the centurion, you know, who like helped nail Jesus up. And then when he sees who this man was, goes, surely he was the son of God. It's the story of the religious leaders who were compliant in how the Sanhedrin connived to put him on a cross who after seeing him die, came and stood saying, I want to be associated with this man. It's the story of the masses who couldn't give a rip on Good Friday which way things went, only to later commit their lives to following him. It's the story of Philippian jailers who were torturing disciples only to see what Jesus was offering them to saying, how can I be a part of this too? It was a part of the Pentecost crowd who had helped jeer Jesus on that cross, now going, what can I do to be saved? And it's the story of people like me and you. Maybe you're cruel, heartless, cold, like a Roman. Maybe you're like one of those Jewish leaders were plotting and filled with jealousy and envy and making power plays behind the scenes or like one of those crowds in his day which didn't really care much about him at all. Just take him or leave him. Let things play the way they want to play. I got my life to worry about. Maybe you're a denier like Peter, a betrayer like Judas. Jesus died for people like you and me by his own intention. 
Now, there is a, uh, a Bible passage that over these past few weeks we've been striving to, to learn together here at Fellowship of Faith. It's one of our faith challenges that you'll hear more about later. But it's from John chapter 3. It's like a six or seven verse spread. I just kind of want to pull one out of the, the middle because I bet you know this. And if you do, I encourage you to say it along with me. And if you don't know it, like just fake it, all right? Because I think you'll figure it out as you go. You've heard this before, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But it goes on and it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son in the world to save it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him, well, they stand condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then he says this, Jesus says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because, well, because their deeds were evil. And they're afraid to come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth does something different. They come into the light. And they come into the light so that it could be seen plainly that what's been done in them has been done through God. They come into the light because they know with Jesus they don't have to be afraid and they never have to risk being called less than friend. Friends, Jesus invites you to come into the light, to not try to put on a mask, to not try to make it look like you're better than you are before God, to just come into the light with him and say, Lord, here I am. Sins, warts, and all. Forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for calling me your friend. So I'm going to invite the band to come back forward here today. And they're going to lead us in, in, in a closing song that's really about this. And, and we're going to commune which is really about this as well. And in preparation for this, what I'd like to invite you to do as well is if you would just rise with me. Let's get on our feet. And, and we do this, we, we believe it's important to regularly, even daily, examine ourselves and come into the light. Just a way of saying, admitting Admitting our shame and admitting our regrets and admitting our failures and admitting our sins and coming to God and not holding back and not trying to hide any of them and laying them at his feet and knowing by his death we are forgiven. We are his friends. No matter how we think about him in return. So I just want to invite you maybe in your own way take a few minutes here today and you know, just pray. Whether you've done this a lot or it's the first time, just dare to ask God to come into just a little quiet moment with you.
and just tell him what you're sorry about and what you're struggling with and ask him for his forgiveness today. Let's pray. I just want to invite you, if you'd like, to pray this along with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. By his intention and by his design, Jesus chose to die for you. By his death, your sins are forgiven. By his death, a relationship with God is possible. By his death, he gives you assurance how much he wants to be your friend. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup after supper, he gave thanks, he gave it to them. He said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and do this in remembrance of me. Welcome to the table, guys.